Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. When we're talking about, for example, picky eaters and we're telling them, eat this or try this, that's not a way to really relate to kids because they're just being told to do something else. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, on to the show. This episode is sponsored by 88 Acres. I love stocking my pantry with the delicious, thoughtfully crafted seed bars and seed butters from 88 Acres that also just happen to be free of common food allergens in their commitment to high-quality ingredient sourcing. To get a discount on your order and a list of my favorite 88 Acres products, head over to seeds.88acres.com forward slash less stressed, and we'll include that link in the show notes. All right, today on The Less Stressed Life, we have Arielle Danny Lepovitz, who is a mom and registered dietitian nutritionist specializing in hands-on experience-based education for children and their families. She's a children's book author of Where Do Bananas Come From? A Book of Fruits, and Where Does Broccoli Come From? A Book of Vegetables, a colorful encyclopedia-type guidebook series that invites taste buds on adventures and discovery of new foods. And we'll talk about this, but I think she has more books. So Danny holds a master's degree in health communications, which is why we probably like Jive because I think we both really like health communications as well as specialty certifications in diabetes education and sports nutrition. As a military spouse and self-proclaimed foodie, she loves to travel with her husband, three daughters, two poodles, exploring food markets in search of unique tastes and textures. Welcome Danny and welcome back to the United States because you just got home to the U.S. from Germany, right? Yes, yes. Thank you so much for having me here today. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about your interesting life. I have a wanderlust gene, so (laughs) it is fun to talk about that. I will commonly get questions like, how do you find these people? And it is really random how I find people (laughs) to have interviews right now. My drug of choice is the new Clubhouse app because you meet people, you get to know their voices so quickly, and then you see their whole resume on their profile and you think, oh, I would love to talk to you about endometriosis, but Danny is here because (laughs) I saw a thread. There was a thread in a Facebook group for dietitians, and it was one person complaining about something that her children's school was sending home about good foods and bad foods. 
And this may come as news to some people listening and not to others. I hope there's a movement. We're trying to get away from condemning foods. We're trying to change like somewhat the narrative, right? I think it was a generation or two ago where we were really like, we got to really be limiting. I don't know. So sometimes I'm surprised when my kids come home and they're like, oh, we learned about this app today in PE and it talks about calories. Anyway, so that's why we're having this discussion because you were recommended on a thread on a better way to talk about foods. So I guess the first question is, feel free to comment on that as you like, but also let's talk about your origin story on, because what we are talking about today is not the same conversation as maybe you've heard in some past interviews or some future interviews. Danny has a totally unique angle. So let's talk about how this started for you and how you decided I'm going to help. I'm going to do this. Um, Take it away. Sure. Okay. So I guess I'll start with my kind of where I came from and where I am now and how that plays into some food neutrality. So I have always loved working with children. And actually my first job when I was 15 was working at the Denver Art Museum and I worked in the education department. So we used to give out these family backpacks that kids would use around the art museum to get them excited about learning and about the different artists and looking at paintings and things like that. And I got into nutrition like a lot of dietitians because I realized it didn't have to be a doctor to help people. I believe food is medicine. And so throughout college and my professional career, I've always sought out opportunities to work with kids from volunteering with the Boys and Girls Club and setting up local activities at the farmer's markets. So at my full-time job, my day job, I would bring in any opportunity I had to work with uh, families and kids. So I used to work for the Air Force. So we're a military family, as you mentioned, and I'm actually a sports dietitian, and I'm a certified diabetes care and education specialist, but I really love working with kids. And so I found that I could really help kids and connect with them. And the idea for my work came from working with children and hearing about parents' problems and how kids talked about food. And then my husband had come back from a trip. He was deployed and we usually planned a little vacation when he got back and we happened to visit a pineapple farm. And that day I visited a pineapple farm and learned that only one pineapple grows on this enormous plant each fruiting season, and it may only produce one to three pineapples in the lifetime of this plant. And so it really made me think, I could tell you all the enzymes in a pineapple, and I could tell you the benefits and what it does for your body, but I didn't know where my food came from. I didn't understand the food literacy, and I didn't understand why a pineapple might be $5 until I saw that this plant just grew one. And so I took that idea and connected it with how kids understand and relate to food. And when we're talking about, for example, picky eaters, and we're telling them, eat this or try this, that's not a way to really relate to kids because they're just being told to do something else. You know, kids don't know that cherries and apples grow on trees. We're really disconnected with our food system, and they're not exposed to these different foods. And on top of that, I have one food rule and only one food rule, and that is you don't have to like everything. We each have our own taste buds or own preferences, but here's the rule. You do have to be able to articulate why you like something or don't like something. So it's your likes and dislikes. And so we do that using descriptive words, right? Adjectives. And so when I dug deeper and was working with those families, it kind of triggered this, okay, We need to connect kids with our food, expose them to new things, and teach them more than just 
well, this is a pineapple or this is an apple, just eat it. And so what I encourage kids to do is to talk about where and learn about where food comes from, how they're grown, how to explore them, maybe picking them out together, cooking together, taste testing, empowering them to be part of the process and conversation. It could be food play. It could be STEAM education. And so how that relates to food neutrality is we all like cupcakes and cookies and candy. And it's not necessarily a bad food or a good food. It's a food, just like any other thing. But let's, instead of focusing on maybe its nutrient value, which a lot of people do for classification, let's talk about why we like chocolate. Is it sweet? Is it creamy? Is it gritty? You know, why do you like this brand versus another brand? And Take the conversation away from any pressure. Take the conversation and vilification out and just make it about food exploration and fun and science because I love STEAM or STEM education, which if you're not familiar with that, it's STEAM is an acronym for science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And a lot of people think don't put the A in there, but art is in everything of life and So starting with my very first job is important to me, which is why it's part of the work that I do with food. So this is kind of sad. I didn't know that STEAM was just art and STEM because I always see STEM without Uh an A. So I was actually going to ask you what I thought you made up STEAM. (laughs) So I thought I'd like to take credit for it, but I'm not quite that clever. (laughs) Right. No, it's good stuff. And I'm over here taking notes for you on like, oh yeah, Danny needs to have her stuff in here and here because as I listen to your story, it is great. So let's define very clearly because you're talking about food literacy. You're talking about food neutrality. Let's talk about how this is different than picky eating. So maybe let's loop around to that. Let's sure. talk about using steam. I think the question is you went to a pineapple farm, by the way, were you in Hawaii? No, I was actually in Belize. Okay. You're in Belize at this pineapple farm mm-hmm. and you're thinking, my goodness, you live this, like this long life. You know those light, light bulb moments that you mm-hmm. have? And, you know, I've been having all these swirling ideas in my head and it literally was a light bulb moment. Like, aha, I know all of this, but I didn't know this. And my kids would love this backstory that they have no idea about. And I feel like I should have known about this. If I have a degree in food science and human nutrition, why do I not know this about my food and food systems? And I know you can certainly relate with working on a farm and working in agriculture. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's crazy. Yeah. So we're really trying to bring it to exploration, I think, is yes. the situation. So anyway, we go from Pineapple yes. Farm, you mm-hmm. go home, and then what happens next, I think, is the next question. So I decided that I needed to write a book. I needed to write this kind of resource or encyclopedia that could help families learn about food from farm to fork. And I think sort of what you were talking about is how is my work different when we're talking about maybe picky eaters I kind of fall under that big umbrella and there's so many wonderful dietitians in this realm you know some very famous resources like Ellen Satter with the division of responsibility and then we have Jill Castle who's a very well-known pediatric dietitian and on social media we have Jennifer Anderson which is wonderful too and they all focus on resources for the parent when approaching picky eaters but my approach is more child centric so i have books activities and tools that are specifically focused for them and while parents or educator involvement is best and i want that i 
also really want to focus on empowering the child to explore on their own. So, you know, when a child goes to a store and says, ooh, what's that purple vegetable? You know, or what's that purple thing? And you could say, oh, that's an eggplant. It's a classified as a vegetable, but if we look at it botanically, it's a fruit. And, oh, would you like to pick one out? Should we explore it? Now, you asked me about becoming a food explorer. And so that's my social media handle is Kid Food Explorers. And so when I think of a food explorer, I think about how it's not necessarily one specific thing. Being a food explorer could be using your bodies to visit a farm and see where food's grown. It could be going to a market and picking out a new food to investigate. It could be going to a forest and foraging or even in front of a computer screen, right, to discover foods from faraway places like a pineapple farm or even this past year with COVID, visiting an apple orchard on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And so being a food explorer comes in all different shapes, sizes, comfort levels and interacting with new things. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're taste testing. It's all about having fun and making it pressure free and using food as a way to learn about something that you are unfamiliar with. And trusting that the right next thing comes next, because as you were talking about, I made some notes. If we often transfer what we do with children to adults, we realize that no wonder this doesn't work, right? And I'm guilty of it because you are what you learned from as well. So it's like trying to recreate, you know, I came from like being told to do things as well. So, but when we're told to do something that doesn't make us want to eat it, right? And like as an adult, that doesn't right. make me want to eat it. But right. learning about it, I literally would have identified as a picky eater as a child mm-hmm. because I really didn't touch a lot of things on my plate. And until I started learning more about food, that was when I truly just generated an interest. I mean, mm-hmm. to where I, it was an yeah. honest interest. And I often don't Absolutely. resonate with conversations around disordered eating just because I came by this honestly. You know, I wasn't like I was trying to achieve a certain thing. It was literally like, oh, I'm just curious and this is great. So if we bring this back to kids, that's what you're trying to say is like Mm -hmm. use exploration. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious. Yeah, make it fun. So I'm curious, give us some practical examples of how you propose people to, I mean, you've just gone over like, hey, if you go to the grocery store, you can pick up this eggplant. But like, if you would go through, like we would use STEAM as an acronym to walk through what you could do. Let's talk about like how you frame this up. Sure. And I can use a couple examples too. And I think I would start by taking one step back, because I said I only have one food rule, which I really only have one rule. But I think before you start these food explorations, I think it's really important to kind of have a mantra. So I brought up my notes because I have like a list of picky eating mantras. My number one is when you have a child, and if we're actually talking about like food exploration, like the part where parents want you to eat something, I'm going to start with that because I think that's what parents or caregivers or educators are most interested in is the taste testing part, right? That's our oftentimes our end goal. And so these mantras are of what you would say instead of this. So instead of like, ill gross, I don't like it, which my children will eat something and then afterwards be like, I don't like it, but they've loved it, except for now they don't like it, you know, two seconds later. And so changing a mindset and creating a mantra is so tremendous for a growth mindset. So everything I do is like this wonder and growth mindset for kids, which is how we get into the steam and the play, but kind of having this idea beforehand. So instead of saying, I don't like something, it's, 
I'm still exploring it. So instead of saying ew or gross, it's I'm still exploring it. So talking and thinking about a new food, I haven't tried it yet. I use kind words to talk about foods. So I don't say things that are not kind, like that's gross or that's that looks disgusting and things like that. Exploring is how I learn. I don't have to like everything, but I can still explore it. Instead of getting upset, I like to pretend I'm an investigator. And I don't have to like everything, but I can still explore it. And exploring is really fun. So when you are exploring a new food, I don't think that you have to go through the whole process of using every part of steam. Even just one could be a part of it. But what I like to do if I were introducing a new food and it looks like, I don't know, something that would sound gross to somebody unfamiliar, like is there a food that you're just totally appalled by? Me? Yeah. Mm, Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Okay. So unusual. It's like a giant hamburger, but it's just it's not like a delicious. Giant blob of meat. Okay. Yeah. So if you were a food explorer in search of delicious, and again, there's no pressure for you to try this meatloaf, right? That's the big thing is that telling a child or having them understand you don't have to try this food. That's not what we're here to do. In fact, we're here to just explore it. You have this blob of meatloaf and you're like, what is in this meatloaf? What makes up this meatloaf? How did you collect the ingredients to prepare it? And what spices do you use? And how does it change the flavor? And what does it smell like raw versus what does it smell like cooked? And could you draw a meatloaf character? My books are focused on like whole foods, so fruits and vegetables are what a lot of parents like to focus on. So, you know, if you're a child and you've never seen, we'll use eggplant again, an eggplant before, you know, the first thing you could start with is uh, let's read about eggplant. Let's cut it open and dissect it. What does it look like from the inside? And I have a lot of free resources on my website. I have a free resource library. I have a, it's called my uh, science worksheet. And it's this whole investigative process using the scientific method, like observations, a question, then you research it, then you come up with a hypothesis and try an experiment, and then you analyze it, and you come up with a conclusion. And these are things you can do with a three or four-year-old on a very basic level to explore this new food to, you know, your teenager who you're like, let's get you started and exploring this food. And so you've done this experiment and maybe you want to make a stamp out of for your little people with eggplants so that they feel comfortable touching it and looking at it. Maybe they'll draw a picture and then you could use your five senses. What does it look like? What does it smell like? Does it remind you of anything? And if they're comfortable enough to taste it, then have them taste it, but they can still talk about the texture. I mean, you can do so many things with the food with a new food beyond tasting it. And guess what? They can help you cook it and it might smell good. They can watch you eat it. And then here you're eating this eggplant. You're like, oh, it's so savory. And I really love XYZ spice. And it's, you know, a little bit salty and it's it's got a really crisp texture on the outside. And I guarantee with all those adjectives and descriptive words that you're using, eventually this exposure is going to kind of take a hold and they may be willing to do that little taste testing thing. Yeah. And it's kind of a process. I was going to ask you what age is best to start, but you did just give us some examples of three to four year old versus a high school kid. So my work, I say I focus on children ages four to 12, and that's kind of where my resources start. But I'm going to be honest with you. I have a just turned two and a four year old. I have a six week old too. And 
we started exploring food when, as soon as they could eat, right? So an infant who is six months old and just starting to try new foods, you're exploring foods with them. They're playing with the food. They're learning the textures. They're food explorers in search of delicious at six months. And then the way you talk about a food, you know, increase their early literacy. So they're sitting there mashing a banana with their hands and you say, is it squishy? What does it feel like? Is it slimy? Smell it. Mm, it smells sweet. So really, you can use those tools as early as you are introducing new foods to get that growth or wonder mindset in introducing foods. It's just when my content comes into play in having to classify an age group, not every parent is there on board teaching a child. And so investigative play often starts innately around three to four years old that a child could then do themselves. So if you don't have a parent or educator facilitating that process, you're kind of not getting that opportunity for early feedings. And then I will tell you today, I went to the physical therapist and she was talking to me about her 11 year old and 14 year old and how they didn't like mushrooms. And we went through a whole- Did you invite this conversation, Danny, by the way, when you're at the physical therapist or did she was just just telling you about her 11 and 14 year old that didn't like mushrooms? Just curious. Oh, (laughs) Uh, I think on our first, this is my second visit. And so I told her, you know, what I do, which is kind of like out there, right? Yeah. And so she was dry needling my back. So really painful. I have a personal question. Is is it okay if I ask you? And I was like, yeah, go for it. Let's shoot, you know? And so we went through this whole process of how you get a teenager, right, to explore a new food. And it's entirely possible. It's just, you can't just say, eat this food. You have to get them interested in something, you know, and it could be, hey, I'd really love to spend a little bit of time with you. Would you mind helping go grocery shopping with me? I'd love to teach you how to make my favorite dish. You don't have to eat it, but I'd love to, you know, whatever it is, whatever would relate to your child to get them inspired to try something new. And it happened to be that they really hate mushrooms. And we went down the the rabbit hole of textures. And, you know, she started telling me some things. I was like, your kids like mushrooms. They like the flavor. It's not the flavor. It's the texture. And if you start using descriptive words and adjectives and using my one food rule, then you really discover that your little people might like a whole lot more foods than you're giving them credit for, but they don't appreciate the way it's prepared because they have different textural preferences. Yeah. This reminds me of when we, my daughter's favorite food was this mushroom ravioli I used to make. And she would say, I don't know what's in this, but it's so good. And we would just like snicker to ourselves. And when we finally (laughs) told her it was mushroom, she would not eat it anymore. Um, And also I think this is the answer to a lot of people's woes technically, right? Because it's a very common complaint that I can't get my child to eat, blah, 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 blah. Like mealtime becomes a struggle often as we become parent. Like there's times, if you, especially if you have one plus children, it becomes something that maybe used to be enjoyed is not really enjoyed in the same way. But I think the unsexy part of this is that we end up having to turn the finger at ourselves because we're always saying our kid doesn't want to eat this, but inconveniently, we have to like point that finger back. This reminds me of when I was working in school nutrition and one of our challenges was like right around 2012, it was when new school food rules came into play. Mm -hmm. And essentially there's a lot of new rules and we were talking about this off air. Schools are doing a great job. They are nourishing our children. Mm -hmm. 
they've had some challenges this year from what I can tell because of sourcing problems. Like suddenly things that were going really well for years is like, is not going as well because we can't get things. So, you know, I don't know. That's a challenge. But when these new guidelines came out in like 12, it was all about diversity of fruits and vegetables. There was a lot of misconceptions at the time. Anyway, so I ended up seeing was that everyone met the rules essentially, but Mm -hmm. the real success of the program had to do with the enthusiasm of the people working there. And Mm -hmm. so, and it's really similar to us too. And I would always say this, it's like, if you are working in school nutrition or you are a parent or you are working around children, if you are reflecting your own views over things, how do you think that child is going to feel about the mushrooms if you don't like the mushrooms? So half of our problem is like, picky adults that are not exploring food, unfortunately. Right. And I'm not saying like, that's not, it's just, I'm just saying it out loud. And this is why this can be unsexy. Right. Because it's like, oh, so first we have to start with wanting to do this. And I would love to talk about barriers here because this makes sense. This is how you like get people to explore and then take an interest and then things just develop naturally. Uh Right. I mean, this is how we do other education, but we've like taken food out of context and like put it in this food, like is such a weird topic, right? People think they know everything. It is such a complex topic. You know, it has so many cultural implications Mm -hmm. and differences and emotions tied to Mm -hmm. it and control. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's such a complex issue. Yeah. And sometimes we think our food issue is really not a food issue at all. It's really like an other issue, but Let's talk about some barriers because I think it would be inappropriate not to. So like what we're trying to say here is creating food explorers that are looking for delicious. And I may have said that incorrectly. That's okay. So this is how I'm remembering it at the moment, right? So we want to be exploratory versus just saying you have to do this. That's like the baseline here. So what would you say to a parent that's stressed and has lack of time? Yeah. So I really think it's about expectations, right? You expect you're buying this food and you're limited on time and you want your child to eat it because one, you bought it, two, you prepared it and you know, you everybody wants to do the best they can for their child and fruits and veggies are healthy and gives us the nutrition that we need. But first I would just take a step back and say It doesn't have to be this grandiose, great big food exploration, set date, doing all these things. What I really try and do with my work, especially on social media, not necessarily in the resources, because obviously if you have any of the tools or books or freebies, you know, that's active work that you're exploring something, but make it passive, right? So passive food exploring could be going to, you know, the grocery store and saying, hey, can you help me pick out some potatoes. Even if you don't know what to look for necessarily with potatoes, you could at least identify like you don't want it to have a musty smell. So you could say, hey, just pick it up and smell it. Like, Mm -hmm. does it smell good to you? Does it look like it has mold on it or any bruises and things like that? And there you go. That is a simple form of food exploration. You know, you're ready to prepare those potatoes. Hey, could you just help me in the kitchen? Can you just help me wash the potatoes? I need to scrub the dirt off. That's a form of food exploration. Like if you don't have the time to make potato stamps, okay, that's something that's not part of your exploration. But one thing I would say is that anytime you want to engage in any form of exploration and reduce barriers is one, 
integrate it into something you are already doing with your everyday life. So you're not doing anything extra. And then two, make it all about fun. Kids relate to fun. They don't relate to necessarily being told or dictated to because that leads to other feelings. And in the realm of food neutrality, you don't have to eat this food. It's a food. If you want to try it, great. If not, good. More for me. I think when you say make it fun, I'm going to pick up and say, here's what I heard you say. I think the answer is pick one thing, right? Mm -hmm. And try not to make it like something new because then we create a noble obstacle as this Mm -hmm. one author I read once about not finishing, like not ever executing something. We create a noble obstacle. We like made it into a big thing. So we're like, I don't have time to look at that. Mm -hmm. So anytime I'm trying to get someone to do something little, that's like going to have a massive impact. I'm like, could you just do that on your commute? Or like when you're putting, loading the dishes, dishwasher or whatever, like there's no way you could take four different concepts today and then implement them all at once unless you're like um, incredible and you took notes and all these things, right? But most likely if you could take one thing and start to use that or like think through our senses, right? Mm -hmm. You could do that. And if you wanted a more practical approach, I mean, we have that conversation shortly. But the other Mm -hmm. thing I heard you say was make it fun because if you've made it into a chore, this now sucks and it's no fun at all. So we always want to make things. And I think that's always a challenge. It's like we've Mm -hmm. created, remember food, for many people, maybe before they were struggling in their dinner table, maybe food was fun before. And so I think the answer is how do we return to trying to have fun whenever possible? Because technically fun, laughter, gratitude equals like literally increases your endorphins, which is better for your gut health. So just letting you know that it would be great if you would just prioritize making it fun. We all have like, everything's going great when you just have one child and they just are the stereotypical (laughs) people pleaser sort of. I feel like the first child that's the birth order, they're like, yes, I'm responsible. And maybe there was issues there, but then the next one comes along and they're kind of a little turd bird and, um, and they (laughs) are like going to challenge you. And so just letting go of control. Yeah, I do have one of those. She's very challenging. She literally, and I've said this on another episode, she's like, she has to go down the road to grandma's house to get ingredients for things. She tells me this because like she'll be into making things. And the other day I wanted to make things, something with her. I would like invited her to make something with me. Instead, uh-huh. she got out her own cookbook and made her own decision on things she was going to make. And it's like, as long as it's your idea, it's fine. But she told me she can't make blah, blah, blah at our house because I only have dietitian food. And I was like, hey, Hey, I have stuff right here. It's over here in the pantry. Oh anyway, I love it. Um, see, kids are so fun. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So I think also like I've noticed I've become more patient because I've been doing the work. And I mean, this was years, right? Years. Like she is now eight. I've been doing internal work to like be to just work on patience and fun. And so it's mm-hmm. like, it really, I do have to turn it around. So this is like a tool to use exactly. to make things better and to make it more neutral because yes. when we've created this good food, bad food dialogue, we're mm-hmm. demonizing something that it needs to carry us through life. Right. We need to eat food and digest right. it. Like we need to not be stressed out around right. food because right. it's not helping our gut health, which doesn't help how we feel, which makes us feel crappy. And so anyway, we just want this yes. to be a positive, yes. positive thing. And it doesn't have to be a hard thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, any extra work, which I think that is probably the biggest barriers. We're all limited on time. We're all limited on resources. And so how can you maximize your time? Well, just incorporate it to something you're already doing and then have in your mind, like, what could I do to make this more fun? Like, let's 
juggle the potatoes. Or if you have a science kid, like, why do you think there's dirt on there? Oh, it's it's because it's grown underground. Oh, is it a root? Is it a tuber? Why don't you look it up on, on your iPhone or your iPad or whatever kids are looking things up on these days, you know? And even little conversations like that are food exploration. If you sit down at the table, you know, using adjectives like, are they crispy? Are they creamy? Are they seasoned? Are they umami? Are they salty? At the table, that is food exploration. If you're looking and you just say they're brown, okay. That's still food exploration and it could still be fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, Danny. Um, Absolutely. If you are listening to this and you enjoyed this episode, then please screenshot it on your podcast player and post it to Instagram or Facebook. Tag Danny and I. I'm at anti inflammatory nutritionist or Krista Bigler RD versus Instagram versus Facebook. And Danny is at Kid Food Explorers on Instagram. Mm -hmm. But Danny, if people wanted a paper thing that they could have their kids, like helps get this ball rolling, if people wanted a tangible resource, where can people find your books and resources? Absolutely. So uh, let me first say I have an extensive free resource library that includes printables, for example, a food explorer hat. And so I teach (laughs) kids how to make a food explorer hat. She's laughing because I put like a little printable on and I know it's all audio, but anyways. And so from us, we kind of switched to this mode of food investigation properties in my mind's eye, food exploration has the uh, Indiana Jones hat. So that's why mine's like this and my daughter's is rainbow. But I do have a lot of free resources that you can print right off our free resource library. And that link you can find on my website, which is experiencedeliciousnow.com. Or you can also find that as a link in my bio on Kid Food Explorers on Instagram. But I do have a library of books that you can find anywhere online that books are sold most often people buy from amazon or target or walmart.com and you can find all my books i have a vegetable encyclopedia book a fruit encyclopedia book i have 101 descriptive words for food explorers which is the visual guide for adventures in food so if you're kind of limited on your adjectives for describing foods and relating to foods through words and images. I also just recently plus fruit and veggie activities for little food explorers. So it's an interactive pressure-free activity book to help expose kids to new fruits and vegetables. And that's really for kids ages three to six. And it has different activities using fruits and vegetables that help kids get ready for school-aged work. So uh, yeah, lots of tools. I also have an Etsy shop that has my food explorer placemats that helps kids explore new foods with a hands-on approach. And you basically can download it, print it out, and it comes with a complete guide and some lesson plans in there too. I do like that because that's something you can like put on the table and have a conversation around. It's an easy conversation starter potentially around food, right? The placemat. So exactly, exactly. You, and what I like about those food explorer mats is the food explorer mats are really neat because I really love comparing either two different foods or the same food prepared different ways or different varieties of a food. So you could have, you know, two varieties of apples. You could have fresh apple and homemade applesauce, and you could have an apple versus an orange. So it really gives a lot of opportunity for hands on fun food exploration. Awesome. Working through picky eating or the good food, bad food approach using food exploration as a more sustainable tool long-term to help your kids have a great, healthy relationship with food. Thanks so much for coming on today, Danny. 
and we'll have the resources and links in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me here today. I've been obsessed with the delicious simplicity of 88 Acres Bars since I ate my first one at the Boston Airport in 2016. And now, as a registered dietitian nutritionist that specializes in helping people with food sensitivities and allergies, they come in clutch as an easy way to diversify breakfasts and snacks in a way that feels kind of special. I mean, who doesn't want watermelon seed or maple sunflower butter on their pancakes or smoothie bowl? And for my mom friends... When you are sending birthday or holiday treats to schools now, they usually need to be packaged and free of tree nuts. So why don't you get a box of delicious 88 Acres bars that just happen to be free of the top eight allergens and free of sesame for your next classroom snack day? That way you're feeding the kids something that tastes good, is good for them, and is safe for everyone so no kiddo feels left out. I mean, the majority of 88 Acres customers don't even have food allergies. Their products are just that good, but they make your life easier when lunch boxes and school snacks also need to be nut-free. Plus, now you're the cool parent when you have snacks on hand that work for every kid on a play date. To see a list of my favorite 88 Acres products, which definitely includes their variety packs so you can try all the things, head over to seeds.88acres.com forward slash less stressed to get a deal on your order or check the show notes for that link. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stressed Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stressed Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 